Hello, Heschel. Good. So uh, while I am getting set up here, Please don't fall, please don't fall, please don't fall, please don't fall, please don't fall. There we go. Actually, let me move it a little bit forward because I like to walk up and down. Are you intrigued? Great. I'm going to leave this here for a moment and make you wonder. Dun, dun, dun. Lord Jesus, I just pray that this morning as we gather around your word, Lord God, that our hearts will be open, our minds will be settled and focused on you. And I pray, Lord, that the words that's already been shared with us this morning from you and the words that you've given me, Lord God, will be pleasing to you first and foremost. Lord God, and that we will find good soil in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm pretty excited because the words that's come is, is so in line with what I'm preaching about. And uh, how many of you know that that is encouraging as a preacher? <laughs> is that when you're like, okay, okay, Lord, I heard from you. Yes, bonus. <laughs> um, so I'm going to continue with a series that we're busy sh- preaching on from the book of Titus. And um, James shared a few weeks ago when he started the series that Titus is not really a well-known book that people preach from. It is, however, a book that's well-known for laying out the qualifications of an elder. And the reason why that is important to recognize is we need to understand the context in which a letter is written, uh, written to you in the New Testament or in the Bible. And that's what's happened in this case, is Paul has written a letter to Titus, who is a a man that went on missionary trips with him, and has been tasked with setting up eldership in different churches on the island of Crete. Now, has anybody here been to the Isle of Crete? Rob and Katie, is it lovely? Is it beautiful? Beautiful. So... It's a lovely place, beautiful place, nice holiday destination. However, the people from Crete were known as prolific liars. And they were a real rough bunch. Kind of like if you go to Croydon at night. My wife, she's like, (laughs) I just said that for her sake. Forgive me. (laughs) But they they were a rough bunch. And and in fact... um, they were known, actually a, a, a Greek phrase was coined, to cretinize someone. If you were to cretinize someone, it means that you were dealing with someone falsely. How hectic is that? That the one thing that you were known for in that time is that you deal with people in a way that is false. That is not genuine, that's not real, that's not truthful. Anybody like to do business with anyone that would be... Cretanized. No, I don't think so. I wouldn't want to deal with anyone in general like that. So this is why Paul explains in his greetings of the letter that he's an apostle of the truth, sharing the truth. Because what has happened is, because of the nature, false teachers would come in and try and detract and derail what God was doing 
in new believers' lives. And Paul had to raise a standard, set a standard according to which the truth was explained, the truth was taught, and the truth were outlived. And so it's important for us to understand that. And one of the biggest enemies of the truth, and I think you would agree with me, I hope you would agree with me, is if someone's life is proven to be contrary to the truth that they're speaking. Right? If somebody claims to be one thing, but then their life proves to them to be something or someone different. That's why it's so difficult for us when somebody we look up to lets us down. And their lifestyle proves different from what they've professed. That's why in, the, in Europe and in the UK, people struggle with the idea of church. Because a lot of people have been led down by leaders in the church. So many people that I've spoken to in the last four years since we moved here have told me about how deeply hurt they've been because of someone professing to be one thing but then found out to be something other. And so Paul is writing to Timothy to try and, and create a picture of what someone who is in authority, their life should look like. The qualifications of an elder and of deacons. So let's just quickly read one, uh, Titus chapter 1. And we're going to read from verse 5, 6, and 7 together. I left you on the island of Crete so you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. An elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife and his children, must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. A church leader, in, in the NIV and in the original, it's, it's an elder, is a manager of God's household. So he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. I'm going to stop there. So Paul chooses... In the first two verses where he starts to address what an elder or a leader should be like in the church, he uses the same term to say they have to be blameless. Interesting. Blameless. Now the leadership team that God gives the church in the local context are elders and deacons. Elders and deacons. Uh, not organized by way of importance, by the way, because church is not a place where you climb, climb the corporate ladder. You don't become more important as you, you, you uh, graduate to the next level from just an ordinary, you know, saint, an ordinary believer, and then become a deacon. Whew, you know, now I need to start wearing my blazer and my, my tie and... And then when you become an elder, then you can go and slacks and, you know, because now you can relax a bit more. No, there's no ladder to climb. There's, no, there's no, no levels of importance or value. But rather it's organized by call and function and role. So Paul here lists a few qualifications in First and Second Tim Timothy. If you can bring up that list of qualifications, please. 
Can you all see that? I'm going to read it out. <clears throat> so here are some qualifications. Now you will see on the left is elders and on the right is elders and deacons. But it's all different qualifications that, that these different roles should live up to. Self-controlled. It's quite an important one, eh? <laughs> Disciplined. Hospitable. Above, above reproach. Able to teach. Faithful to his wife. Not violent but gentle. Temperate. Not quarrelsome. Respectable. Not a lover of money. Not given to drunkenness. Not a recent convert. Manages his own family well. Has a good reputation with outsiders. Sees that his children obey him. Does not pursue dishonest gain. Not overbearing. Not quick-tempered. Holds to the truth. Sincere. Loves what is good. Upright. Holy. Tested. But that, that sounds like just a decent human being. Right? So when I... Thank you for that. <laughs> So when I was preparing, I was like, in the beginning, I was like, Jeez, James, thanks a lot for giving me this one verse. But as I was praying and reading and praying and reading and praying and reading, I was like, now, do I, do I share this from a perspective of an elder? And then I realized, no, this is just being a good representation of Jesus Christ which applies to all of us who believe, right? All of us who believe. So, I want to say this, that, that that's quite a list, and I don't know if I were to ask if anyone would raise their hand and say, you've lived that in perf- to perfection and fully. Eh? I think we've all fallen short of this list at some point in our lives. It's quite a list. And but for God's grace, I don't know that we can get there. <laughs> hey? God's grace over our lives, and I love this, is that He doesn't sideline us because we aren't perfect. But He gives us Jesus through whom we can live out the call that He's given us. And the promises, and receive the promises that He's spoken over us. I love Colossians 1 verse 22. It says, Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him. Isn't that amazing? That the result of being saved, of accepting the sacrifice that Jesus gave us, is that we stand before God holy and blameless. How many here feel holy? Is there anybody here that feel holy this morning? Is there anyone there that feels blameless? No, because our, our consciences accuse us, right? Or is it just me? What right banner do you have to stand up here this morning to share the word? Who do you think you are? <laughs> How did you speak to your daughters yesterday? Great, hey girls. Yes, daddy. <laughs> So because of Jesus' sacrifice, we are holy and blameless in God's sight. Now I want to go to Philippians 2, verse 12 to 13. It says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, 
Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless. There's that word again. And innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. I think we live in a crooked and twisted generation, don't we? This generation, the place... By the way, do you know that this nation, since about 1342, when uh, there was a revival by John Wycliffe, there's been 18 recognized revivals in this nation. 18, since 1342. The majority of which happened to happen in Scotland. It was so interesting for me to read the history of God in this nation. God's activity in this nation. I believe we, we are due for a revival, just by the way. Uh, that you may blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a cricket and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Now, I would like you to put up the next slide, please, Rob, if you don't mind. What we are talking about here is the doctrine of salvation. Soteriology. Because on the one hand, what we've spoken about so far this morning is what our lives look like to the world around us. Blameless. Right? Are you with me? But on the other hand, I just read where in Jesus, we are, we are blameless before God already. Who of you know there's a bit of a disconnect between the two? Because we, we, our lives is a little bit like this cup of stuff before we know, get to know Jesus. Filled with a bit of muck and sin and things that are not great. And maybe when we come in contact with people, <coughs> it's not that great. People experience a bit of the bitterness of sin in our lives and what we like. But then when Jesus comes, when Jesus comes and we saved, the Bible teaches us that we are covered. We are justified before God. So now, when God looks at us, what does he see? He sees Jesus. But when the world looks at us and we look at ourselves, there's still a bit of yuckiness there. Maybe not as patient and self-controlled as I should be, as generous as I should be, as kind. Make sense? And so, so what Paul is telling Titus is we need to make sure that we, when we, when we appoint elders and leaders in the church, that what's on the inside matches what God sees. Being blameless. So now I can I can just hear you asking me the same question: How do we get that right, Werner? They were thinking that, right? Just say yes, please. <laughs> so soteriology is the study of the doctrine of salvation. It discusses how Christ's death secures the salvation of those who believe. Secures the salvation, right? It helps us to understand the doctrines of redemption. Justification. I'm made to look just as if I've never sinned before God. Justification. 
Sanctification, it's the process of working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Of the, what I'm covered with, that truth is being worked into my life by the Holy Spirit. Propitiation and the substitutionary atonement. I need a, I need a volunteer, please. A tall volunteer that can hold this high for me. Someone that's not my child. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> can you hold this for me, please? And hold that in there for me? Like that. So that people can see. So that people... Uh, no, that's too high because I'm not that tall. <laughs> so I've got these two jugs here, right? What does the, the content of this jug look like compared to the content in the, in the glass? Can you lift the glass up for me again, please? Same. It's the same, right? Okay, so this jug represents the world, represents our sinful natures, represents the things that the world throw at us, its wants, its cravings, its delights, its temptations. This jug is different, right? This jug represents the Word of God, the truth of God, the Holy Spirit. And so what happens is sanctification, working out your salvation is like this. You can hold that glass up for me a little bit, please. What happens to the content? What's happening? When we allow God, through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, to impact our lives, what do we start to look like on the inside? More and more like? Exactly. But when we allow the things of this world... Can you hold that up again, please? What do we look like? We go back to not lose our salvation, not justification, sanctification, the process of becoming more and more blameless. What we allow to impact us affects who and what we reflect. And so as we grow and mature in God and we spend time in His Word and, in, and time with each other and we allow the Word of God to, to impact us, what happens to our life? Now, this bowl, I don't know if you can see this. <laughs> don't, don't worry, it's a bit mucky. But this bowl represents what people experience from us. Did you see that as I, as I, the more I poured, what happened with the overflow? The overflow cleared up, right? And so what the world, thank you so much, Tim. What the world will experience from us is directly related to how we allow God to impact our lives. Make sense? Now... None of us are perfect. And that's why I love that, that scripture verse that says that we are God's masterpiece. Not cookie cutter. Masterpiece. Any artist yet, James and Emily, any other artist here? How long does it take to create a masterpiece? Why? Take care. The process is involved. 
Because maybe you'll do something and you'll, you'll add layering and you add nuances. But a masterpiece is not something that happens overnight. We'd like it to be. Right? We like the Cinderella idea of waving a magic wand. And, and that's what the world offers. That's what drugs offer. That's what sleeping around offer. You feel great for a moment, but when you wake up in the morning, you're still you. You feel great when you use the, the substance, but when you come out from the, uh, down from the high, you're still you. When you go to these different clinics that people are offering, when you go and do all these different self-help seminars, Nothing else except for the power of Christ has the power to transform us. Nothing. And so, as we keep on reading, there's, a, there's something that God gives us in Scripture from 2 Peter. And I'm so glad you read that, uh, Rachel. God gives us a roadmap. God gives us helpful tools in this process of representing Him better, of becoming blameless. So let's go and read it in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 7. Can I please get some water? I don't want to drink that. <laughs> Does this make sense so far? Are you feeling challenged or encouraged? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> both. Both. I, that's, it's good. It's good that we feel both. In fact, I, I just want to backtrack quickly because there is something that I want to just touch on. If you can go to the fear and trembling um, slide, please. And it's the one before that's the soteriology one, right, Rob? And the, what's the one before that? Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So, Philippians says, work out, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I just want to touch on something here because I think we've lost a little bit of this in, in church today and in Christianity because a lot of what we hear from preachers, it makes us feel good. And we do need that. We do need to feel encouraged and not condemned the whole time. But there's a reality in Scripture that says that we need to work out our salvation. That working out that Paul is talking about, is, is, it is that outworking of this process that I displayed here with the different jugs. But it says it, to do it with fear and trembling. Now this fear is similar to the word that is used in relation to God, that we must fear God. Very important to recognize this. Is that the kind of like cowering away kind of fear? No. It's reverence. Respectful. Honoring. Because of our reverence for God and what He has done in our lives and what He wants to do through us, we take care of the process through which He takes us to become blameless. It is something that is valuable. It is something that's important and deserving of our attention. 
And the trembling part brings home the reality of the high importance that we have to, to carry this call of God in our lives as individuals and as a church. And I love this, this one saying. I think it's there. Um, about, with fear and trembling, it's used to describe the anxiety of one. The anxiety of one who distrusts his ability completely to meet all requirements. But religiously does his utmost to fulfill his duty. Cover that with love. <laughs> the foundation of that statement is not religious action. But it talks about some of that determination that we need. Birthed out of that feeling like, Lord, I cannot do this on my own. Lord, I cannot be blameless in and of myself. It's impossible for me to do that. Because I know that and because I recognize that, I look to you. I submit myself to the process. I submit myself to choose the right jug, the Holy Spirit prompting me, telling me what to do in this moment. So that we can have His results, not the flawed results that come when I, when I trust in my own good thinking. Does it make sense? Let's go back to 2 Peter chapter 1. By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for a godly life. Some version says uh, that God gives us everything we need for life and godliness. I think that separation is important to, to understand. Is that God doesn't just give us godliness for when we're in church, but He gives us godliness for when we're at work, when we're faced with circumstances, challenges. We have received all of this by coming to know Him through Jesus Christ, the one who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. Do you know that God has lined up and in store for you great and precious promises? Have you lost sight of what God has promised over you? Have you forgotten some of the precious promises that God has spoken of you? These are the promises that enable you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all of this, all of this make every effort. Pump the person next to your ribs. Not too hard because we don't want any issues. Are you making every effort? You're making every effort. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. To respond. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. Sup and here's, the, here's the, the little bit of toolkit that God gives us. Supplement your faith. The faith like, I believe in you, God. I believe in you, Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And add to moral excellence knowledge. It is right and good for us to gain a deeper knowledge of who Jesus is. 
the multifacetedness of His love, of His grace, His mercy, His provision, everything that we need. And to knowledge, self-control. And self-control with patient endurance. Who knows that sometimes God's schedule is not our schedule. Sometimes we run out of patience before God comes through on what He's promised. Sometimes our faith goes, and it tanks. Because God, when is this going to happen? I wonder in your lives, what things you've been trusting for currently that God hasn't come through yet. But I wonder if by the same token you look back at what things God has come through in your life. And that stirs your faith. That stirs your patient endurance. And then patient endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. But those who fail to develop, to develop in this way, the Bible says if we fail to develop in this way, we are short-sighted. We are blind. Forgetting that we've been cleansed from our old sins. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What incredible words. So in this passage, we see that God has given us everything we need. Please say everything. Everything. What, what is excluded from everything? Nothing. So when you're standing in front of your boss or your colleagues and they ask you a question that you know you should know, you know, it even includes that. That you can take a step back internally and say, Lord Jesus, please bring to, to remembrance. Please help me remember. Please give me what I need right now to respond well in this situation. What direction? What strategy? What do I need, Lord God, in this moment? When you are faced with, with a, a work colleague who's, who's just suffered a traumatizing event and you don't know what to say, how to encourage, Jesus said it's better that he goes so that the Holy Spirit can come so that he can tell you everything you need. You can rely on the Holy Spirit to tell you what you need in that moment. To share the love of Christ to that person. So God gives us everything we need for life and godliness. God has given us great and precious promises which enables us to share in God's divine nature. I mean, that just blows my mind. That we can share in God, not become God, but we can share in the peace. We can share in the joy. We can share in the love. We can share in the hope. God's divine nature. And God, God's great and precious promises helps us to escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Sometimes we need to have a bit of a, a realignment of our desires. That's where this comes into play. 
That's where this comes into play. Because I'm willing to bet that if you think back at the times when you allowed the world to influence you, it's when your desires were aligned with whatever the world was offering. And sometimes we've got to do this. Sometimes we've got to take ourselves by the scruff of our own necks, kick our own backsides, so that we can choose to let the Holy Spirit impart into our lives. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? Then he says, for this reason, supplement your faith with virtue. And that knowledge of Jesus that we need to add is the knowledge of who he is, what he's like. Knowing who we are in relation to him. You are a son, a daughter of the Most High God. I, I, I want to ask you to do something. Remember last week James asked us to do something? How many of you managed to do that? I, 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 I struggle to do it because of my, all my stuff is digital. But I want to ask you, would you, would you wake up in the morning... And when you look at yourself while you brush your teeth or shave or do your hair and do your eyelashes, ladies, whichever one you do. And when you put your, will you put that down for a moment and just remind yourself, looking in the mirror, that you're a son or a daughter of the Most High God and ask Him to help you in your day, to prepare your heart, to prepare your thinking? Is that okay to ask? And to this knowledge, we need to add self-control. We need self-control. We need self-control. And with self-control, that patient endurance. We know that this life has gotten many troubles. And we need to endure. And patient endurance, godliness, which is a reverence, a respect, a piety towards God. To endure, to endure we need a better picture of who God is. It's very difficult to endure when we, do, when we do not draw from our ultimate source, which is Jesus. But if our picture of Jesus is on the same level as anyone else, how are we going to draw from Him what we need for our day? If Jesus is just one of many other gods, powerless, how can we then look to Him and trust and rely on Him? It's impossible. Godliness, brotherly affection. Now when I read this uh, a few years ago, I was like, why brotherly affection and then love for everyone? It's kind of like, seems like a double up. Well, I think brotherly affection is because we need one another in the church. We need one another in this community. We need to be able to draw on one another for, for courage. We need to draw from one another for what sometimes we do not have faith to, to, to hold on for ourselves. And when we isolate ourselves, when we exclude ourselves, we leave ourselves exposed and vulnerable. And so we need that brotherly affection for one another. And then from that flows... Love for everyone else. 
And here's the interesting thing, is if we do not add brotherly love, when those who are out there who do not know Jesus yet come in and they don't find brotherly affection for each other, what does it say to them? Jesus said, you will be known by your love one for another. And then, what does it say would be the fruit of living like this? What would be the fruit of being blameless and living blamelessly in front of those around us? The fruit is that we will be more productive. We'll be more productive in reaching out. We'll be more productive in sharing the truth, the gospel of Jesus, the love of Christ, the light of Christ. We'll be useful in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. I think unfortunately... Unfortunately, a lot of times when people look in at the church, what they find is people who are short-sighted and blind. We need one another. We need one another to live blamelessly. We need one another to reflect as ambassadors of Christ, the light of Christ, representing Him more clearly. I wonder if we can stand together, please. I wonder if we can close our eyes and just remember ourselves, remind ourselves of what's been shared now, and remind ourselves of the encouragements that came earlier during worship. That God wants to do something now, God wants to change realities now circumstances now if you if you need a change in circumstances and reality and perspective no one's looking around won't you just lift up your hands to god just reach out to him he's a good good father it's who he he is lord god We pray for each hand that's outstretched this morning. We cry out with every person who's reaching out to you this morning. Holy Spirit, won't you come and touch now? Won't you come and provide clarity where clarity is needed? Won't you come and provide courage where courage is needed? Won't you come and provide a miracle where a miracle is needed, whether it's finances, whether it's health, physical or emotional, whether it's a relationship struggles, Lord God. Whatever the circumstance is, whatever the struggle is, Lord, we cry out to you this morning and say, come and bring about change that only you can bring about, Lord God. So that we can shine your light to those around us. Share your love to those around us. And impact their lives. We love you, Lord. And we thank you that you are interested in each one of us. And that you love us. We trust you, Lord God. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for your